When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Listener questions! On today's show, we're combining MLS and Liga Ramekis like some sort of expanded Leagues Cup format. We're looking at which World Cup teams could pull a Euro 2004 Greece, and we're seeing how much USMNT Intel Gareth Bale has been collecting. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who used an eggplant emoji when I posted this week's listener questions on our Slack channel. Explain yourself, Taylor Rockwell. I didn't so much use the eggplant as I endorsed Graham's usage of the eggplant because I appreciated, you know, you got to find new ways to uh, to agree with things. And I'm assuming that's Graham showing his love of nightshades. That's what that usage was for, right, Graham? Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm the guilty party here. I started the eggplant party. I was just trying to show approval, Ryan, and that's... That's how I do that. That's that's a, that's a shaky ground. I want shaky ground here. Can we please move on, please? Graham started the eggplant. We've got a good song going on there. I like that very much. It's much better than the usual thumbs up, though, Graham. Well done. Uh, by the way, everybody, Graham Rutherford joining us. Hello, Graham. <laughs> Hello, Hello, Ryan Bailey. How are you? Very good indeed. I just stepped off a plane. I'm back in Roma uh, reporting from my home studio. So very glad to be back, Graham. It's, uh, it's boiling hot. It's a million degrees in Rome still. So that's great. Home sweet home. Home sweet home. Uh, rounding out our pack, Graham, another traveller, a man reporting from the front lines of Minnesota, y'all, Joe Larry. <laughs> that was like a quarter Midwest and three quarters, no, a quarter Midwest, <laughs> two quarters Southern and one quarter British. Ryan, I like the little accent matchup we got going on here. I also like, fellas, about how it took Ryan, I don't know, two minutes, 30 seconds, two minutes, three minutes, somewhere in there. To uh, toss in an I hate Italy reference. So again, whoever had that in the pool, <laughs> go ahead and pony up to that person. It's not so much that I hate it. It's just I don't love it. I mega loathe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mega loathe. Anyway, enough about me, Joe. How's, uh, how's Minnesota doing you? Minnesota's great. I went to the MLS All-Star Skills Challenge last night, which is hokey. It's silly. But oh, oh, oh shoot. This man, we're, this actually might not be last night as we're recording now because of scheduling things. Ooh, Ooh. I went to the, the Skills Challenge <laughs> earlier this week and had fun. It was a good time. I, when you listen to this, will have also been to the All-Star game. And man, don't you just love how that one player did that one thing? I thought that moment oh, was, yeah, that was so cool. cool. Graham, right? I mean, it went viral on social media. And when either MLS or Liga Mekis won, that that was just really cool. Yeah. Yeah. A, a real <laughs> moment in, in league history, depending on which league won said game. Yeah. Right. Which we know which league won, of course. Yeah. Of obviously. Course. Yep. A very- anyway, that's Minnesota. 
<laughs> Wonderful to hear, Joe. A very worthwhile investment for all involved, it sounds like, that game. So I'm glad you're having a good time there. Um, I noticed, by the way, before we get into the list of questions, we have many. Thank you very much for sending them in, by the way, listener. And it's totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you want to get in on it. Uh, I noticed, gents, as we record, Pulisic is trending on Twitter. And this leads me to my stunning fact of the week, which I had no idea. You guys probably have every idea of this. Uh, Joe, do you know Christian Pulisic's middle name? Oh, shoot. I I will know it when you say it. I think it's something not quite standard. What Grant? is it? <laughs> I, I know it's no, but thanks to Google. Anybody? But, wow. Uh, <laughs> I is it is it Mate? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's Mate or Mate, but it's Christian That's... Mate Mate Pulisic. That's incredible. <laughs> I can't believe That's it. the only reason why I know it is because I've had that same like. Is it Christian mate or is it mate? I'm assuming it's Croatian, and there's some some pronunciation that we're missing in there. Oh, nah, it's just mate. Not, yeah, mate is better. <laughs> or yeah. mate, yeah, Christian mate. Yeah, okay, okay, I, that 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 works. Christian better. Buddy Pulisic. <laughs> yeah, I, I just imagine him arriving in London where every server in every restaurant will say mate. Or every person you meet, every stranger will say, mate, and he's like, oh, I'm really well known here. I must imagine that's uh, his reaction. That's incredible. It's, uh, it's, it's an young, young situation, right? <laughs> I hope Christine Pulisic goes to see a Star Wars at some point, uh, Taylor. That's what I hope. Um, it's my second favorite uh, soccer middle name, Kurt Zuma. Any ideas, Joe? Oh, boy. Yeah, I got nothing on this one. Please fill me in. It's happy. Kurt Happy Zuma. No, the, it's not. It is. No, it is. it's not. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, my word. Um, happy Zuma. Sounds, happy Zuma, even. Sorry, Happy Zuma sounds like, I don't know, someone you would call someone at a rave. I, I guess that's like a nickname, <laughs> but Happy Zuma is, is something else. Sounds like an Adam Sandler movie to me as well, yeah. yeah. Um, happy also being the opposite of how his cat feels most of the time. Let's uh, get to the listener questions, shall we? <laughs> like, straight away after that comment. Diego Lara has been in touch. Hey, Diego. Uh, he's got a, a supposition for us. Imagine this Liga Emekis and MLS merge into one league. There are two divisions with promotion and relegation. Who would win? Who would be the MVP? Who would be the funnest players to watch? The best coaches, best stadiums, yada yada, and so on. Uh, Taylor, from the outset here, I'm going to say that's going to be a lot of games and a lot of teams in these two <laughs> combined leagues. We've got 18 teams in uh, the Mexican uh, Liga Emekis, and we've got 28 in MLS, of course. So that's, uh, what's that, 46 by my math, 23 per league. That's a lot. Yeah, I think we, we've got our work cut out for us here. I, I would be fascinated to see how they would handle promotion relegation, how they would handle which teams go into that top division. I'm assuming there would be an equal split. Uh, and I I think I ended up erring on the side of the way the CONCACAF Champions League has gone historically in that I think probably Liga Emeki's teams would be dominant, at least to start. I think I had them sort of uh, being on top of the top table. I, I don't know who wins or loses the relegation battle, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like Liga Emeki's is in a stronger position to begin, especially with MLS teams going on the road. I feel like that could be a challenge uh, unto itself. Oh my gosh, the travel. I didn't even think of the travel. Uh, Joe, mm-hmm. where do you land on this one? How many, say, MLS teams would be in the top division if there were two divisions in this uh, scenario. Oh, man. Okay, so I didn't go about it in that exact way. There's going to be at least at least eight, right? I mean, if we're, if we're dividing this up, it's going to be, what, 18 and 28. That's a, that's a big chunk, almost 50 teams, right? So dividing into 25, yeah, I mean, at least a third, I would imagine, of MLS teams would be in that top division. Maybe that's a little generous. But the way I looked at it is is trying to think through who the best teams would be 
in this league. So I went on to 538, which has a bunch of really useful, it's not perfect, but useful projections and soccer odds. And basically the way that they rank teams, they have a, a global club rankings sheet that does its best to compare the quality of teams from different leagues in order of teams in, in Liga MX and teams in the United States in MLS. Monterey would be favorites according to 538, then Tigres, then Pachuca, then Club America. So those are, are the top four teams to win the Apertura and, uh, excuse me, NYCFC would go just one spot above Club America. So there'd be one MLS team in the top five. And then you're looking at LAFC, Philly, and Santos Laguna to round out the top eight. So that's five Liga Mekis teams in the top eight and three MLS teams in the top eight with the top three teams overall being from Liga Mekis. And that squares, right? I mean, that squares with what I think a lot of us would think about Liga Mekis and MLS teams competing. We'd never seen an MLS team win the CONCACAF Champions League until this past year, and it took a very stacked Seattle team and a, a pretty underwhelming Liga Mekis field without Monterey or Tigres to actually get that job done. Then you flip the script and you look at relegation contenders. Queretaro is the lowest-rated Liga Mekis team, according to 538. But SKC, Vancouver, Charlotte, and Houston and D.C. are all rated lower than the lowest Liga Mekis team. So I think you're looking at MLS teams filling out the bottom of the second division and filling out the the maybe fourth through eighth spot at the top tier. Liga Mekis being the best of the best and kind of in the middle ground as well here. Okay. Uh, Graham, what are your thoughts on this one? Maybe who'd, who'd be the MVP candidates? Well, in terms of the quality of the teams, this is why we have the CONCACAF Champions League, right? We don't have to debate this, debate this anymore. It'd be the Seattle Sounders. Let's just ignore all the many times beforehand that Liga MX's team won CCL. It's done now. Get over it, Mexico. It's over. Like that, MLS has settled the debate in my eyes. Maybe slightly blinkered in that opinion there. <laughs> sure. But in, on, it's, it is interesting to... Uh, weigh up the quality of the teams in Liga Mekis, and I agree with Joe to be serious. I think a lot of the 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 big teams in Mexico, Club America, and and even Atlas, who who I, I think won um, the is it the Clausura last season. Um, they they're a good team at the moment. So I think a lot of the Liga Mekis teams would would be top of that division. But in terms of on individual quality. I think MLS stacks up pretty well, not just against Liga MX, but against most leagues in the world. And it's just the nature of the league rules and the yeah. roster rules that means MLS teams struggle to build strong team units. So in this Frankenstein monster of a league, I think a lot of the MVP candidates would come from MLS teams. So I've, mm-hmm. I've gone for uh, Carlos Hill. I might have gone for Tati Castellanos before he left NYCFC. I think it's possible that in a few weeks, Gareth Bale's maybe rising up the the power rankings for MVP if he keeps scoring goals, really good goals like he is at the moment. But I'll go with the consistency of the last couple of years and I'll I'll, I'll opt for Carlos Hill as as the MVP. Graham, that's a great point about the quality. And I think that's reflected in how we see these teams stack up in those 538 rankings. Liga Mekis teams are at the top, yes, but there is this core group of top MLS contenders that's not miles below them. But the, the difference really is you have a bunch of teams sort of that are, are level-ish beyond that. And then you have MLS teams on the bottom because there's not enough. There's too many mechanisms and it's too complicated and there's not enough resources that are able to be spent efficiently on building a complete 23-player, 26-player squad. That just doesn't really exist in MLS right now outside of LAFC. So then you look at teams like Charlotte and Houston and Vancouver and, and SKC and DC and all of those teams at the bottom because they don't have the depth. In terms of best players here... I think you're looking at a handful from Liga Mekis and a handful from MLS. Sebastian Driussi, Hani Mukhtar, Graham, you mentioned Carles Hill, Brandon Vasquez would be up there, Tati would have been up there, Gareth Bale could be up there. 
And then for Liga MX, you're looking at Andre Pierre Gignac, who's a Tigres legend, even though he's he's getting up there right now. Nicolas Abanez, who plays for Pachuca, he's a very dangerous yeah. forward. Henry Martin, forward for Club America, we've seen for Mexico. Rogelio Funes Mori from Monterrey, who we've also seen for Mexico. Those are our stars in Liga Mekis. I don't think any of those players outside of Gignac's pedigree in Liga Mekis is that far ahead of what we see from some of the top talent in MLS. It's just all about the depth from there. Uh, Taylor, any thoughts on the best coaches from this uh, Phil Neville. league? Uh, yeah, of course, Phil Neville is taken for granted. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah since Graham, Graham took mine. I mean, I think there's plenty of very uh, good coaches in Major League Soccer. Joe and I did an MLS-centric show this week. Uh, I forget, again, when we're, we're airing this one. Uh, but I, I think Jim Curtin is probably a, a coach that is going to get international attention. So I think getting to see him in this newly formed league and see how he functions would be pretty cool. Same for Bob Bradley. I think Bob Bradley... Yeah. Managing against a bunch of Mexico teams would be pretty fascinating. I feel like he'd get up for that one. And then from Liga Mekis, I mean, you can't look past Miguel Herrera, uh, El Piojo. Uh, I think that would be some entertainment value in and of itself. He's got the energy. He's got the controversial background is how I'll phrase that one. So I think he could be uh, a welcome addition to the league. And then I think there's plenty of stadiums in Mexico that would be uh, destinations for, for fans to go to. The Azteca is... Like, beloved for being old and sort of outdated and not having the amenities. If you go online and read the reviews from NFL fans when there was an NFL game play, played there, there are many that are like, oh, I love the history and the culture and it's a different style. And then there are many that did not love the lack of modern <laughs> amenities and signage and safety Wait, the toilets. standards. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the, the one that drew my eye is the Estadio Akron, where uh, Chivas de Guadalajara play. Uh, it, it looks like a volcano of sorts yeah. from the from above ground it looks like it, all the sides are grass but it's a very cool looking stadium obviously chivas have done a, a ton of history as well so i think that would be definitely a fun one to check out uh, and miguel herrera i think would would bring the energy to that league so you got some good stadiums you got some good coaches i'm excited yeah i i really like that that stadium taylor that, that chivas have but the, the standout for me i think mls as a whole has better stadiums than, than liga Mekki. certainly more modern stadiums so you could go through a load of stadiums, Bank of California, Allianz Field, Red Bull Arena, Providence Park, uh, Mercedes, Mercedes-Benz Mercedes Stadium. But this, the standout for me in Liga Mekis is the one in Monterey yes. with the view of the mountains visible from inside the stadium. The stadium itself is, um, I mean, it's it's modern enough. It's, it, it reminds me kind of weirdly of the Etihad. It's quite a similar design to the Etihad. But because the, the two stands behind the goal sort of dip down slightly, mm-hmm. you get this incredible view of the, of the mountains. And I, I read it was oh, Populous yeah. who design a lot of um, stadiums around the world. I read a case study on their website, Populous.com, and, and it, basically the whole stadium design is about getting that view of the mountains. So I know Bank California Stadium has the, the LA skyline, and that's quite cool, but the, the Monterey Mountains is something else. That's on another level. And I don't think I've really seen anything quite like that anywhere in world football. So yeah, that, that's my Graham, pick. Is that the one that's like the, the steel dragon or the steel something? Uh, not that I am, I don't think so. Is that is that a nickname for it? It might well be. I'm not sure. Steel Giant. It's the Steel Giant. There it is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. The outside of that one is is you're right. The view is amazing, but the the outside as well, the architecture and the look of it. Uh, I'm a big fan of that one too. Great call, Graham. Yeah, that Monterey Stadium. I think that's a bucket list stadium uh, for the reasons Graham's outlined. There. It reminds me, Graham. Uh, if there's two stadia in the world, I think 
are special because of the view from outside the stadium, from inside, if that makes sense. There's a, I think, it, mm. is it Braga in Portugal? Yeah. Where they've had the Euro yeah. games, which got the rock face on one side. That, the cliff face, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely beautiful. Um, I suppose my last question, Joe, uh, would this actually happen down the line one day? Because... Um, obviously, we have the, the League's Cup format coming up next year where both leagues are going to effectively take a month off to play one another. Is that a testing zone? Presumably, it is a testing um, zone for this kind of thing to happen permanently. What would you think about that? I'm not not interested in it. I'm scared because MLS is already way too big and adding in 18 more teams plus the rest of MLS expansion that we're going to have to know about and understand is terrifying to me. But, I mean, <laughs> one of the predictions I made, I think we had a listener question a while back about what's our wildest soccer prediction for the next decade or something along those lines. One of the things I talked about was more combined leagues or at least vastly different structures. There's been talk in the past of seeing something like this with Belgium and the Netherlands and, and maybe another European nation. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But I, I do think that is a model for something we could see eventually and and. Major League Soccer and Liga Mekis are pretty strong contenders for that, too. There are already relatively close ties between the leaders of those organizations. It, it, I, I would not wake up one day, a decade from now or two decades from now, and if I saw news of this and I saw that NYCFC had just played Pachuca in a regular season game, I wouldn't be utterly shocked. Let's put it that way. Yeah. I think as long as executives still love money, Joe, then uh, this is very much on the table. I and they will. Yeah. They will. Diego, thank you very much for that excellent question. Let's get one from Michael Hastings Black, who says, playing in MLS, Gareth Bale gets to see many USMNT defenders in action and vice versa. So who benefits more for the USA-Wales game coming up at the start of the World Cup? Uh, Gareth Bale, uh, Graham, of course, faces Charlotte FC this weekend in Los Angeles. Ding, ding, ding. Mm. There's your reference for the week. (laughs) Um... For the week. For the, yeah, right. For the, for the minute. For the day. Like, let's be real here. For the question. Yeah, for the minute, For the question. Um, <laughs> are we convinced, Dr. Graham, on, on the premise here? Because I don't think he's facing a great deal of USMNT mm, talent. One. We've got Aaron Long, one. like Zimmerman, yeah. Yedlin. Sure. I suppose that's, it, that's three already. It, sorry. Okay. Sorry to jump in really quick, and then, Graham, you can take this away. I did the, the schedule research. And Bale is only playing Walker Zimmerman. He doesn't play yeah, Matt Miazga. Uh, he doesn't play Aaron Long. He doesn't play... Oh, I guess Shaq Moore would also fall into that category as well for Nashville. They just recently signed everything. him. But, yeah. but <laughs> LAFC already played Nashville once. Bale came off the bench. And they played them again on decision day later this season. So that's the last regular season game. But there's no Yedlin. There's no Miazga. There's no Long. It is it is pretty slim. So anyway, sorry, yeah. Graham, you do your thing. Yeah, and and did you mention Miles Robinson? Obviously, out injured, injured he might right. have been the the other one who would who would benefit from uh, from seeing Gareth Bale at, at close quarters. So basically, this question is about Bale versus Walker Zimmerman. Really, <laughs> uh, I guess Aaron Long, but as you say, he doesn't actually have a game against LAFC before the end of the of the year, at least in the regular season. But I think um, Zimmerman benefits from having a closer look at Bale and MLS more than Bale does having a look at Zimmerman. And, and that's that's not to be disrespectful to, to Zimmerman. It's just with the career that Bale has had and the defenders he's played against and ripped to shreds over the course of his career. I think he'll back himself against pretty much anyone at, at this point. Whereas with uh, Zimmerman, maybe there aren't that many... Um, attackers of Gareth Bale's quality in, in MLS. You could debate whether there's, there's, there's actually anyone of Gareth Bale's quality in, in MLS in an, in an attacking sense. So just, I guess just that ex, that, that experience um, against Bale for, for Nashville, I think it's maybe the the last regular season game that they... Yep. Oh no, sorry, it's in October. Um, and 
I guess maybe Bale is in the hand solo carbonite by then ahead of going to Qatar. But if he does play that game, I can I can envisage Zimmerman having or, pl- or sorry, playing that game with at least a consideration of that World Cup match in his mind in in some form. Oh, it's um, it's carbonite. Is it? I thought it was um, like a coffin filled with uh, cotton wool balls. Graham, he was going to go into. <laughs> I think I think that's what Joe is proposing for Christian Pulisic and maybe Tyler Adams Mate. as well. But Zimmerman's going in the carbonite, baby. <laughs> very good, very good. Um, Taylor, your thoughts on this one? Obviously, um, on this head-to-head potentially, Zimmerman and Bale, mm-hmm. but also get Bale's, you know, in the states doing reconnaissance of sorts right <laughs> I'm, right i mean of, of, our, of our nation's golf courses yes yeah. probably <laughs> uh i think i do think generally speaking if you're sort of billing it as attacker versus defender attacker is more likely to win in the long run just because more stuff can go wrong for defenders i think and i think that allows attackers to kind of build up momentum and yeah if if, if bale like out jumps Zimmerman and scores a header. I think that does create a little bit of a complex there. It could create a little bit of an imbalance in Zimmerman than wanting to prove himself or wanting to best Gareth Bale. I think attackers are more about kind of doing their own thing and scoring their goals and defenders are the ones who are focused on the individual responsibilities in those individual tasks. Uh, maybe I'm giving defenders too much credit, but I think it probably would benefit if we're just talking purely about uh, a, a key attacker versus a bunch of defenders, I feel like the attacker gets the advantage there and maybe is able to learn some more things. But I think overall, Gareth Bale is probably less interested in what the U.S. is doing and what the individual U.S. players are doing than winning some games for LAFC and enjoying not being uh, criticized in the newspapers every single day. Yeah, that must be nice. Joe, if we flip the question, there's plenty of American stars who are getting some reconnaissance on English players in the Premier League. I mean, Christian May Pulisic's getting a wonderful view from the sidelines of um of those england players playing sorry sorry joe <laughs> no i mean that's true i read i guess from the guardian that tuchel quote doesn't trust christian pulisic and i'm sure there's more context to that but that was the headline and as you know the key to reading things is to just read the headlines and not the article Correct. so i i just don't really subscribe <laughs> to this idea necessarily that players learn all that much about each other when they're playing with each other or against each other that you can't just learn from a film session with a manager. Everybody's going to have a general idea of how these players play. They watch each other. There's a, a deep connections that run between players. I don't know that there's that much difference being made by Pulisic and Mason Mount hanging out in training, I guess, versus Zimmerman and, and Bale going up against each other or against the U.S. and Iran, who don't really play each other or come into much contact on a regular basis. Although Iran does have a lot of quality players sprinkled throughout Europe. I'll say this. I, I could totally see a scenario in which Greg Berhalter has a word or two with Chief Steve Trundle, former national team teammates, and just, you know, asks what Bale's pen- penalty tendencies might be. Cause that is a thing we've seen where you'll get those, like, teammates at international level, uh, or at club level playing on opposite teams at international level, maybe giving away some of their penalty secrets. So maybe that's where there's an advantage to be gained for the U.S. Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much for the question, Michael. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, John Brooks chat. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Kenneth Sidon has got in touch. Are you surprised that John Brooks hasn't been pursued more as a free agent, says Kenneth. Also, are there any more free agents that you were surprised haven't found a contract yet? So first part of the question, Tate. Uh, John Brooks, 45 USMNT appearances, but evidently, oh, of course, out of favour with Mr. Bearholder at the moment. Um, at 29 years old, Sans Club, Taylor. Yes, and I think my answer to this question is yes and no simultaneously. I am surprised that he hasn't been more pursued because we're talking about a player who has had his ups and downs at club and for country, but specifically at club level, has mostly come good and has been playing for a historically and important Bundesliga team uh, and has been a part of a very good defense for that Bundesliga club. So I would have expected him to get looks from maybe lower level Bundesliga teams, maybe teams outside of Germany who need some depth options or need that veteran presence at center back or maybe aren't playing with a high line and could just use some good defensive organizing, somebody who's winning a lot of balls in the air and the like. But with that said... We kind of speculated that maybe there were some uh, off-field issues with John Brooks. There had been reports of personality clashes both with the national team or maybe some behavioral issues with the national team and then with uh, his club as well. Again, this is all sort of speculation, nothing clearly reported, nothing clearly stated, but I do feel like the lack of interest is basically that his reputation preceding him or that he at least has some knock against him that is keeping clubs from really going in. Um, I, as I said on yesterday's show, when I was talking with Joe about this briefly or Joan Graham briefly, um, it does seem like there hasn't really been interest. There hasn't been rumors of discussions. It doesn't seem like there's been a ton of clubs linked with him or a ton of clubs even having conversations with him. So it does seem like there is something preventing clubs from rolling the dice on him. Perhaps that will change as the window, or the close of the window creeps closer. But for now, I think it's surprising given how good he has been and can be, but also not surprising given that we've already start to see some issues popping up here and there. Joe, are you surprised that Brooks isn't getting the looks? You know what Taylor said? I'll say that too. Yeah, a little surprise. It, it sounds like he's, from what I understand, he's looking for big money. And at least MLS teams aren't generally very keen to give center backs big money, let alone 29-year-old center backs big money. There were potential links to the San Jose Earthquakes and, and all that stuff. So I'm not all that surprised. I think he'll land somewhere. But to me, this just feels like the waiting game between clubs and Brooks while someone figures out salary stuff, whatever side that's on and whatever that number looks like. I I think John Brooks will have a club at some point in the next month or so. He's probably also not in a in a hurry to find a club because the right situation will will rise eventually. As far yeah. as other players that I think are are surprising that haven't found clubs, I was looking on transfer market's list of free agents and two really stood out to me. One is Andrea Bellotti, who it sounds like is close to a move or at least is being linked. He was linked to Wolves, he's been linked to Roma. It sounds like he's he's looking to move to Roma. And then you have Dan Axel Zagadou, and, and West Ham's the name that's linked to him. But those are both deals that, again, maybe come down to salary. I don't know what the situation is there, but both players who are ready to contribute to teams that can very much contribute yeah. to teams that still haven't landed somewhere just yet. And uh, Adnan Yanezai yeah. was another name on sing there. The song, mm-hmm. yep, sing the song, Taylor. Yep, sing the song. I was like, I can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. That wasn't lazy at all. No, no. I was beautiful. <laughs> Emphatic. Yeah, Yanis, I, I wasn't actually aware that he had he had left Real Sociedad, so you, you would think he'll get a, a club at some point. And the other one um, is Jason Denier, whose name I cannot 
say without thinking of the Jason Derulo thing. Yeah. You know, Jason Denier. <laughs> uh, but I think he is a player who will be picked up. I, I, I googled his name and he's been linked to Fulham in the Premier League. So I don't think it will be long before someone hands him a contract either. Yeah, another one that stood out, I think, uh, who didn't have a club certainly yesterday when I looked, was uh, Arai Sergiorio. Um, which surprised me, having left Villarreal. Uh, I think Fulham has been linked with him. Atletico Madrid has been linked with him as well. Uh, also, Artem Zuba, who uh, he of yeah. unfortunate no. video starring fame, uh, who's 33, was be- as released <laughs> by Zenit. So there's a few players out there who did surprise me, uh, those being a couple. Taylor, any more you found? I think Edson Cavani, uh, obviously getting up there in years, but we would assume still wants to go to the World Cup, wants to play for Uruguay, so will want the repetition. That does feel like a player who could make that short-term move to, say, Major League Soccer and still have an impact, but still like, keep that fitness up. Uh, I do think Yanozai is one worth including uh, on there because he does bring a good amount of creativity. I don't know if he has like the tactical discipline necessarily. I'm less surprised about Serge Aurier because, yeah, discipline has always has been kind of the issue always good for as many cards as he is like key plays in a game so uh, I, I think we are sort of getting down to that time when the players that are available for free all seem to be available for free for a reason put it that way yeah Cavani is, is slightly surprising but this is what he did the last time mm-hmm. he was a free agent where he was picked up by Manchester United on deadline day, he still didn't have a club that late. And I, I like to imagine that he just likes to have a very long summer holiday and then he gets the call from his agent, Edison, you need to pick a club now. Fine, okay, I will pick a club now. And then he, he'll pick someone on deadline day. Was Graham, that, oh, sorry. Graham, can I, can, I, can I tell you something? Uh-huh. I'd like to tell you something. Is that all right? Yes. Because what I would like to tell you is that I want to tell you, I might as well do, about a boy who can do anything. He comes from Belgium. <laughs> His name is Adnan. Yanazai, Yanazai, Yanazai. Boom. That, that's much better. There you much go. better. All right. To the Rockwell. I was debating it the entire time. I felt bad for not doing it right away. That was good. That was good. No one can accuse you of being lazy now, Taylor. You've done it twice. Ha! <laughs> Thank you very much, Kenneth, for the question there. Justin O has been in touch with this one. Of the 32 teams at the Qatar World Cup, which one winning it all would be the equivalent of a shock that Greece did uh, when they won the Euros in 2004, very famously in Portugal? Uh, Graham, I think, is Portugal actually the answer here? It might be, right? <laughs> Um, no, I think they're too high a, a quality team in terms of the, the individuals. So I, this of all today's questions, this was the one I put the most thought into because I wanted to come up with a good answer. So my, my initial disclaimer is I don't think there is a direct comparison. But as I say, I've tried to apply some logic to this. So Greece at Euro 2004 were a compact, well, well-organized team with few, if any, superstars in that side. Their star was uh, Angelos uh, Charisteas, and even he wasn't really a superstar. He had a, he had a good career with Werder Bremen and, and Ajax, but nothing that got him close to a Ballon d'Or, for example. So with all this in mind, and I will, I will explain, my suggestion is Saudi Arabia. So they conceded just one goal in their 10 10 qualification fixtures. They're extremely consistent, if somewhat unremarkable. They're very well organized. They don't have any instantly recognizable superstars. They have a foreign coach in Herve Renard, um, who we've spoken about previously on this podcast. He is very experienced at major tournaments. So, of course, there's a a very good comparison there with uh, Otto Rehagel, who was the, the Greece manager when they won the Euros. And finally, Greece were the underdogs in their group. They had Spain and Portugal in their group, just like Saudi Arabia. They they were expected to finish bottom of their group. 
and they also had the host nation in their group, just like Saudi uh, Saudi Arabia will have at this World Cup as well. So I, I highly I highly doubt Saudi Arabia are going to win this World Cup, uh, and I'm not convinced that's what the world needs right now from a geopolitical <laughs> point of view. But Greece were widely seen as one of the the weakest teams at Euro 2004 when they won it. So if there's a comparison to be to be made, and as I say, it's not a, it's not a perfect comparison. I would I would suggest Saudi Arabia. Um, Joe, I was in um, Lisbon when the Euro 2004 final was played. The Portuguese weren't very happy with how that game went down, I'll tell you that. Uh, Any thoughts on this question, Joe? So first I want to ask Graham or anybody else who wants to answer a question, because believe it or not, I do not remember Euro 2004. I know of Greece winning it, but I was not watching soccer much at all at the time. So were there worse teams in the competition than Greece? Because I think, Graham, based on some of the answers that I have... It makes me think that maybe I've overestimated certain squads and maybe even overestimated Greece a little bit relative to expectations. Were they the worst team coming into that tournament? Where did they rank if you had to give them an approximate spot? Near the near the bottom of, of, of the team. So I'm looking through the, the, the teams now. It was Latvia. Yeah, Latvia would be a worse team, I would say. Um, maybe Bulgaria. But although Bulga- that time- yeah, but Bulgaria at that time surely had some... Um, put me on the spot a little bit there, but I'm, I'm not entirely sure... Like Martin Petrov played for Bulgaria at that time, and I would say he was he played for Manchester City at that at, at that time. So that in itself is a better. I'd say they've got a higher individual talent yeah. level than Greece did. Okay. Yeah, Greece are Greece are certainly I think in the bottom five in terms of individual yeah, individual quality. Joe, bottom five of this Joe, tournament. In terms of how Greece did it, it, rem- it was quite reminiscent of how Portugal did it in 2016. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So that that's helpful context for me. So some of the odds that I found, I found two different odds, betting odds for Greece back in 2004 to win. Apparently, uh, 150 to one, which is plus 15,000 in American odds, which means uh, that you would win a lot of money for putting it out a very small amount of money on Greece. I also saw 80 to one, which was plus 8,000 in American odds. So based off of those numbers, that puts them level with Mexico, Ecuador, Canada, Serbia, and Wales. That's the plus fifteen thousand dollar figure, plus fifteen thousand figure, excuse me. And then the plus eight thousand or eighty to one puts them even with Switzerland and Senegal, which is not nearly as far down as I thought. And, and again, maybe the betting odds had a little too much faith in Greece. I don't know what the situation is there, but I would probably end up with someone in that tier. Maybe Ecuador. Uh, I don't know that there's a ton of stylistic comparisons there. Canada. I think of defending and really looking to attack on the break. There are some comparisons there. Canada also has superstars, though, in Alfonso Davies in particular. They also have Tejan Buchanan coming up, uh, Jonathan David, who's a big name and becoming a bigger name over in Europe, Kyle Lahren. There's a lot of quality in that group. So I end up somewhere in that tier. Maybe that's a little a little kind to Greece and, and maybe unkind to how heroic that effort was. But I'm, I'm ending up with maybe Canada or Ecuador or maybe a team like Senegal or something like that. Okay. Tay-Tay, where did you land with this one? Um, I had a few as my like longer possibilities that Joe's already mentioned, like, say, Mexico or Nigeria. My answer is the United States. I, I feel like there's a lot of parallels there. It's a team that is good but not great. It would be a shocking result if the U.S. were to win the World Cup, just as it was shocking for Greece to have done so. I think it was also tough for neutrals to root for Greece, and I think it would be tough for neutrals to root for the United States for different reasons than uh, maybe Greece's was more on-field, the USA's was more, you know, the general international history of the United States. Uh, But I think those issues are part of it. I think also the United States, much as we love them and talk about them, 
I don't know who that like super duper star would be for them. Maybe it would be Gio Reyna if he'd had a full season last year, but he didn't. Maybe it would be Pulisic, but that's a player who is oftentimes sitting on the bench for Chelsea. And I think for Greece, there were many very good players, but I, I don't think that there was that one player like, like, like Georgia Samaras is a player that I will always remember from Greece, but I wouldn't say that he is this like, the head and shoulders above them. He's not Berbatov for Bulgaria or Drogba for yeah. Ivory Coast. And so I think you're talking about a team that kind of wins by the collective spirit and the collective buy-in of the players in that team. I think that's how the United States would be able to get a result. So I had the U.S. as as my comparison. And I think if you're looking at the betting odds, they are some somewhere between the, the two kind of groups that Joe mentioned there. See, if you go through the Greece team and squad that won Euro 2004 – it's actually remarkable that they won this tournament, which I know we all know, but just going back through the team, and one of the things that is so surprising about that team is every so often you get a, a fairy tale. You get an underdog mm-hmm. that wins a title, but there tends to be like a core of young players and they get picked off. So, you know, Ajax 95, Monaco a few years ago, the team that Kylian Mbappe played for, Leicester City in the Premier League, and, and big clubs come in for players like Mares and Kante, and, they, and you go through the squad and, and a, few, a few years after the, the fact, and you go, okay, we maybe didn't know those, those players now, but they went on to have incredible careers. This was the start of something. This Greece squad, it's really difficult to pick out players wow. that I know much about. Samaras is not in this He's squad not in there, for, yeah. for Greece in 2004. <laughs> So Charisteus is pretty much the only player there that I would say I watched a good number of, of times. Other than that, I'm struggling to pick out players. It really was it really was an incredible story. Wow. Just think it was quite a summer to be Greek because they hosted the Olympics uh, shortly after as well. So uh, a, a lot of national pride there. Things didn't go so well economically in the years that followed. No. But um, yeah, a very good time to be Greek and a very good question there too. So. Have you ever, Ryan, have you ever seen the SNL sketch from when Charlie Day was hosting when it's the Greek gods... Uh, being notified about the financial crisis and realizing that they all dropped the ball pretty severely. It's pretty great as they all try to point the blame at different Greek gods. Excellent stuff. We'll look that up for Sherotete. Justin, thank you very much for the question there. Let's get a couple more in after these commercial messages. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan Graham and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding. Because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show. And I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic. And all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you're connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Brad Herman's been in touch. Uh, are there any... Com- uh, com- <clears throat> I'm going to come in again. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Listen to Questions. Brad Herman has got in touch, who asks, are there any comparisons currently or throughout history to what Barcelona are doing to stay financially solvent? I can't ever recall seeing another club sell off chunks of future revenue to fund the present, but hoping you can shed some light. Her boy. Yeah, Barcelona are up to some fun and games at the moment, as we are mostly aware. Uh, Graham, I think the closest club we can find to um, to what Barcelona are doing, and maybe a parable for Barcelona, is Leeds United. If you go on Wikipedia and put in doing a Leeds, there is an entire page <laughs> on doing a Leeds, which amounts to investing heavily in your team, and it doesn't quite pay off when you don't quite get the results and then you go insolvent a few years later, which I'm not saying it's going to happen to Barcelona, but that's maybe the path they're on. It, uh, yes, it maybe feels like they're they're walking on thin ice. Um, in terms of Brad's question, I took the second part uh, and addressed that of clubs selling off chunks of future revenue. And that's exactly what Rangers did when it became apparent they were in serious trouble. They, they sold off three years of season ticket sales to a company called Ticketus just to get that immediate, that immediate cash sum and try and pay off some of the, the debt that they owed HMRC at the time. And at the time, this was a pretty questionable decision for obvious reasons. The, the same debate was had that we've had about Barcelona selling off chunks of a, of a media company that apparently they own and, and, and various other things. They're, they're basically selling off the family silver. Rangers did that. But it became this huge scandal because it emerged that Craig White, who was the, the Rangers owner at the time, he had failed to disclose to Ticketus that he had been banned from serving as a company director in the UK. UK. And when Ticketus found this out, they demanded that White pay back the money that they'd given Rangers for for the tickets. And they just became an, another debtor for the club. And Ticketus actually took White to, to court after Rangers had gone into liquidation and they cleaned them out for £17 million. So... The, the precedent for Barcelona is not not exactly a good one when you look at how this story went for Rangers. Yeah. Uh, any thoughts on this question, Tete? I mean, uh, if you look back in history, uh, mm. you could compare them, uh, Barcelona, with Liverpool because they both had levers. Lucas, levers? <laughs> Anybody? Sting on? Yikes. I, I, I genuinely appreciated that. You worked hard. You made it work. A little sweaty, but I liked it. Well done, I Ryan tried. Bailey. Um, I... I mean, I think you all have landed on two. I struggle to think of any, uh, and I would say that the two you did land on, probably not the happiest of news for Barca fans, but I really think it is relatively unprecedented because so often when a, when a club starts selling assets or stripping itself of its own assets, that's because that is the beginning of the end. I think for Barcelona, they have such reputation, such history, and such importance to the league, to the city of Barcelona, to Spain as a whole. I can't really imagine them going bust. I think I've said that previously. And so what I think this is, is them basically banking on, we know we are Barcelona, we are an institution, we will be here forever, so we can sell these assets and we will just find a way to make it work. And and that's what I think they're going to do. They're going to sell these assets, but that means they will have to make a lot more money to be able to make basically the same amount they were making before they sold some of those percentages on. And that's where I honestly got to the point last night reading about this where I, I started to wonder if if the sale of Leo Messi was a deliberate thing ahead of time because you have to believe that when they bring him back, and I think they will, that will be an insane moneymaker for them. They will sell tickets on their tours. There will be a whole documentary made about Messi the return. There will be commemorative jerseys. 
they will be able to milk it for all it's NFTs. worth. And I started, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I started to wonder if maybe like this is in some ways a smart thing they're doing. That yes, they're selling rights for I think the one to uh, who's the the American company they sold their rights to. Uh, Socios? Uh, no? I, I can't remember what it was. I've, I had it written down. I've since lost Disney. it. Oh, it's oh, it Six Streets. Six Streets. Uh, oh, yeah. They sold, I think it should be worth about 825 million pounds. They sold it for 425 million. So you look at that and you think, oh, wow, they're shorting themselves 400 in the long run. But then that also feels like a number they could make up. So I, I'm setting all this up to say it feels like it could be okay. Until there's the reports that even those deals were probably fraudulent, that they inflated the value. They did a crafty amount of bookkeeping. Uh, I will I will not go too deep into this one because it's a very uh, easily in the weeds type thing. But basically, Barcelona essentially created their own like front company, had that company then be part of that sale of the media rights. So it artificially inflated the value so that it then, I think, looked like they had made more money, which would then allow them to register certain players. And it's since come out that they did that. They can't pay the, use that money. They can't like, or it would have to pay taxes on it. And they're kind of committing fraud <laughs> or I, I say kind of because I feel awkward accusing a giant club of that uh, for fear of, you know, the, the fire truck of lawyers. But huh. it just it just seems like not only are they doing things that are unprecedented on the business side, but then they're also doing things on the business side that are, I would say, very, very worrying when you're talking about the way companies yeah. are supposed to operate. And, and they haven't been able to register their new signings yep. for the new season. This it, We're recording on Wednesday. The new season starts on Saturday for Barcelona. Which is hilarious. And I read just it's... before we started recording mm-hmm. that Frank Kessie and uh, who's the other one? Christensen, Andreas Christensen, had clauses included in their contracts that if they couldn't be registered for La Liga for the first game of the season, that they would be allowed to leave Barcelona. That's remarkable in itself, but the fact that they have negotiated those clauses into their contract, that's a bit of a red flag for me. And, and isn't PK, nego- or, or, I can't remember if this has already happened or if there's reports of this happening about PK again taking another salary cut to, to continue to help Barcelona out I in this case. I think he's paying I mean, them now, Joe. He pays them to play. <laughs> I think it's just PK's club, which it was always sort of going to be, it feels like, but it's, it's ridiculous. Other than the Rangers example, like Graham already mentioned, I couldn't find any other examples of this happening of clubs shelling off, selling off portions of revenue in other streams that they have. It doesn't happen very often. We see clubs like Leeds and clubs like Real Madrid or clubs like Inter Milan have financial challenges. And some clubs are in massive debt like Real Madrid. Other clubs like Inter have had to make financial sacrifices like selling off key players and not buying other players to strengthen the squad to, to build on momentum. Clubs have had to make sacrifices, but I don't think I've ever seen a club of Barcelona's size and global relevance that is choosing to go about things like this, it, it honestly could end up working out. If they're incredible on the field and they're making money hand over fist and they do profit off of the percentage of their own TV rights that they have left, you know, we might look back on this in yeah. a decade and think, oh, that was that was kind of a fun yeah. off-season, summer, summer window when Barcelona just stacked their squad and it took them a few different strange ways to get players registered, but then they walked La Liga and won the Champions League. That's not impossible, but it is just great content in the meantime. Yeah, and the, the, what they're what they're doing just now, I've read in the financial world, is called a virtuous circle. And so there is some precedent, maybe not in football, but in 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 the finance world, there is some precedent for it. But everything I've read says that you need basically everything to go right for for this to work. 
And maybe maybe that happens. Maybe maybe Xavi is a brilliant coach and Barcelona win the La Liga and they get into the latter rounds of the Champions League and they get that revenue there and Messi comes back and they get all that revenue again. But it's it just feels like they're making a really big gamble on, as I say, everything going right. I, I, it, it does. It feels like they're making a really big gamble on them being Barcelona. And, yeah, and ultimately, exactly. like, we know we're not going to fail. We know we're not going to go out of business. So what do we need to do to kind of make things right in the short term? Because long term, we know we'll be fine. I'm not sure they will be fine long term. But I think that goes a long way towards explaining what they've been trying to do this summer. Because you can... I guess sell those assets and lose some of or lose percentages of those assets and so you're not making as much money like in the long term but if you then reinvest that you make your squad really good such that you're winning La Liga you're winning the Champions League you will continue to be that marketable name that people will sell, will spend a lot of money to be on the front of your shirt people will continue to buy the shirts of your club and I think in that way they can sort of try to float along with that success, but it requires them spending a ton of money now and continuing to spend a ton of money. They can't have a downturn in form. They can't sur- sort of decide, we're going to take a couple years off, spend less, uh, promote from the academy, and then we'll be back to our prime. I think with the financial situation as it is, they cannot afford to take that hit. And so, as Graham said, it's a very risky situation, and they are rolling the dice a lot of different yeah. ways, a lot of different times. It's it's just the fact that they've signed so many players. I can I can almost understand them saying, okay, we need to be competitive in the short term. We need Robert Lewandowski and the Money Men going, okay, understand that one. And we need Rafinha as well. Okay, okay right. And and Jules Koundé and Frank Hesse and Christensen and uh, all these other players. Bernardo Silva. We still don't have enough. It just feels like they they could have been competitive without being without spending more right. money than every other club in Europe. Right. I, I compare it. There's an equivalence to say if there was a, a major world leader who kept doing things that seemed very troublesome, but just kept yeah. doubling down on them instead because uh, the, the the office would protect that person. Uh, it feels a little <laughs> bit like that to me. And I think Taylor hit it on the head, saying like they are gambling on the fact that they are Barcelona and. There's there's an arrogance to that, but there's also a truth to it because there are there are mechanisms that will prevent them from going too far into the hole. It seems mm. so. I like what you're saying is Juan Laporta's house is getting raided at some point in the future. Yeah, maybe, maybe, and then absolutely <laughs> nothing will happen in the long run. Yeah. Uh, I see uh, my second Arrested Development reference of the day. I also am sort of at this point believing that their their main representative on a legal front is Barry Zuckerkorn, and he's just fed them some line about, like, if you sign 11 players, you cannot be financially punished. And so they're going under maybe misguided legal notions yeah. and hoping that it all works I out. I hope that Laporta was reading Bob Loblaw's law blog, because uh, he certainly needs <laughs> to brush up on that kind of thing, for sure. But Barcelona need a, a, a visit from J. Walter Weatherman, is all I'm saying. <laughs> and that's why... You don't keep buying players. You can't register. There we go. Brad, thank you very much for the question there. We've got one from Matt Haney here. What could we do to help MLS add the net microphone that makes that sweet, sweet sound when a goal is scored? And wouldn't that immediately increase viewership? Uh, Graham, I've got to admit, I've never noticed this, but you do obviously... Oh, what? I mean, you hear when you hear it on the broadcast, you see the big fluffy microphone behind the net, and occasionally when a player hits the camera behind the net, that's also very uh-huh. pleasurable. But I'd never noticed that MLS didn't have it, I guess. Oh, right. Is that is that part of the premise of this question, is that MLS doesn't have this noise? I just assumed that the question was, how do we get more of that noise? Because I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one who thinks the sound makes a goal better. I also enjoy when, it's not sound obviously, but I, I enjoy when the ball ripples round the inside corner yeah. of the net. Mm. So if you have the noise of the net and then that ripple, 
best goal ever Puskas award contender in my opinion right there <laughs> but I wasn't aware that MLS doesn't I've never noticed that before no. is that is that what Matt is saying? Either. I don't know Taylor I mean I assumed that's why Joe was at the all-star competition was to sneak out of the pitch and install mics so that we would finally be able to know that it does sound way better when you've got that turned all the way to 11 uh, the Jermaine Jones goal in the World Cup will forever be the best example of that one the sound that makes when it hits the net makes that goal which is already amazing 10 times more amazing so I don't know if MLS uh, already has it but I think that if they do they should just crank that one up because it does it's just such a nice thing it's such a, ple- a pleasant sound and when it is a well-struck ball it does sort of turn your attention it will turn some heads it does make it more memorable in my mind so uh, I like the idea from Matt I, I just like Matt's suggestion that it would immediately incre- yeah. increase viewership. Like MLS has has struggled to crack the mainstream in America in terms of broadcasting, at least for you know two and a half decades. But add that sound in, and Game it's going to overtake the NFL. Yeah, yeah, Graham, don't you see the Times Square billboards? MLS now with net microphones, and just so you can see the stock price just go through the roof. Hey, I'd watch. <laughs> I read I read a really good piece by Tim Cato, who writes about the Dallas Mavericks in the NBA for the Athletic. And he wrote an article about how the Mavericks have their rim microphone turned up basically to 11. They have their sound uh, higher than pretty much every other team in the NBA. Some teams in the NBA don't even have a, a net microphone. And it's, it's built up this reputation around the Mavericks that the sound of the ball going through the hoop and also you know hitting the rim and, and clanking off is exaggerated. And it gives the Mavericks this distinct quality. And I, I, don't, I don't think it's going to make any real difference for MLS in the long run in terms of adding the microphone or not. But but turning that sucker up to 11, I, I think, has a lot of value. You might pick up some chatter from the goalkeepers, and you can use that in a few different ways. You could have you know, more exaggerated sound of balls hitting the woodwork or balls hitting the back of the net. I like it. And Taylor, to your point, yeah, my, my whole plan for All-Star has been just the entire time, and of course, this has already happened, as we established earlier on. Great I game. just went and slipped small pieces of a net and, and small pieces of a microphone Every time I pass by Don Garber, which of course was many times, we ran into each other just repeatedly yep. throughout this mm-hmm. entire week. And, and I, I'm going to keep doing that by mail until he either has enough pieces to build a microphone himself and has enough net to build a net and get the idea or just until he figures it out and, and actually implements it across Major League Soccer. So that's been my plan. I, I started it and we're going to keep going with it. <laughs> I appreciate so your gonna... heroic work, Joe. I appreciate <laughs> Thank you. your heroic work. I mean... Joe's just going to, by stealth, make the changes to MLS that he he wants to make. So he's going to do the net thing. It'll get to the final 10 minutes of the match, and he'll just start throwing balls on the pitch. Yep. Multi-ball, make yep. it in, more interesting. Yeah. If there's, I don't know if the All-Star game does have an extra time period in its it rules, won't. if it gets it the extra time, he's going mean, to hide the referee's whistles. So no more extra time, straight to penalties. I, I, I see what you're doing, Joe. Yeah. yeah, it's a slow process, but we're getting there. That is actually... Well, well Matt Haney's kind of got to the uh, the crux of our plan here we sent Joe to MLS All-Star to inception the MLS brass into putting more <laughs> net microphones in uh, and he did so during that uh, famous win for either MLS or Liga Rebecca's in that game so well done Joe thank you yeah I'm doing my best the other thing I'm also slowly going to be installing what, what's after 1080p is it 1440 I don't know 4k we'll just go for 4k I'm going to be slowly installing those cameras and MLS stadiums across the country because 720p is a relic of the past. Apparently, Apple's moving all the broadcasts to 1080p next year, which is a good step. But, I mean, as long as I'm at it, let's upgrade the camera quality even further and improve some of the color contrast and grading on the actual broadcasts themselves. I, I do think that legitimately would help MLS's broadcast product 
and potentially even increase viewership. So I, I would really like to make that happen, in addition, of course, to the net microphone situation. Yeah. They're all taking notes, Joe. All the MLS brass taking notes as you speak. I hope so. Anyway, uh, Matt, thank you very much for that question. That just about wraps up listening to questions, but a couple more just to get to for housekeeping. Kevin Tolley uh, asked uh, or said, good morning. As uh, He wrote this in the morning. Uh, good morning, and as always, <laughs> I love your work. I was wondering if you could do a preview of the US Open Cup final. I know you don't usually cover that uh, cup, but this year is a little different, of course with Sacramento Republic being in the final. Thank you, and thank you again for all the work you do. I'm a huge fan. Thank you, Kevin. We're a huge fan of you. Um, Taylor, I think we can uh, give some coverage to this uh, upcoming U.S. Open Cup final, right? Uh, now that I know the date, and I know that it's not like tomorrow, when I first read this question, <laughs> I thought like that could be a bit of a stretch. But yes, we've got plenty of time. I think that's a very fair thing to request, and I think we could definitely do, if not a segment, that at least a good chunk of a whole show uh, like on uh, previewing both teams and the matchups and the things we're excited for, because we should, because it's a big game, uh, and it could be a very momentous game at that. Yes, indeed. So that one is coming on the feed at some point. Kevin, thank you very much for that. Now... Most of our listener questions are really, really good, guys. But occasionally we get an awful one. <laughs> and I just want to read out this one from Gabrielle Wise. Gabrielle, who says, England recently provide, uh, proved victorious in the UEFA Women's Euro Final. And Ryan revealed on a recent listener question episode that he's not been able to keep his tradition of listening to the song Three Lions on a run before each of their games due to injury, which is correct. Given these two facts, is it maybe time to conclude that it is in fact Ryan's fault that England lost to Italy in the final of Euro 2020, and to absolve Giorgio Chiellini of all alleged wrongdoing. Listen, Gabriel, listen. Yeah, I didn't run. This is what I've been saying. Yeah, It was all your fault, Ryan, that they lost last summer because you were listening to that cursed song. (laughs) And when you didn't, England won the Women's Euros. So get your phone charged up, get Badil and Skinner lined up in your running (laughs) shoes, looked out for November, and I'll be reminding you every day Time to go for a run, mate. Not Christian Pulisic, you, Ryan Bailey, your mate in this instance. Listen, Greg, I I will accept that superstition is an important part of soccer. I will accept that it is my fault uh, for Euro 2020 last year. You know, I'll never accept. I will never accept that Chiellini can be absolved of being the worst (laughs) human on the planet. I will never accept it. Worst human on the planet outside of Mar-a-Lago. Let's put it that way, shall we? I don't like this one bit. I'm sorry. Um, Taylor, uh, can you rule on this one? Because I I, I feel like... um, I, I feel like it's perfectly acceptable to say that I'm to blame because of my superstitional breaking thereof. But you know, I can't, I can't part this. I can't, I can't do the here's, absolving. Here's what I can say for you, Ryan. Uh, England have not won the World Cup. Uh, the men's side, at least, have not won the World Cup since uh, you started this tradition. The truth may hurt for a little while, but a lie hurts forever. That's a quote for you, my friend. So I think until you can accept the truth that it isn't you, in fact, who's to blame for this, I think England will continue not to win the World Cup. When you go for a run and listen to three lines, do you just do you, do you listen to it on repeat, just over and over again, or just once? Because because the, the, for anyone who doesn't know, for any listeners who don't know, Ryan seems to to run a lot, and when he posts his Strava maps to Instagram, I have to work out whether it's an area that you've run or a migration map of a bird because it seems like you run long distances my ma- my ma- my daily strava map would be a lot less impressive it would just be kitchen living room back to the kitchen yeah. bathroom bed but yours seems to be quite impressive and you run quite long distances do you just do you just have it on repeat for full no, hour or something i just like time that? i watch to a pigeon graham you've got me you figured me out. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm That's wondering, I think, Ryan, maybe turn your ears off for this temporarily. Uh, Taylor and, and Graham, you guys know the app Cameo? Yes. 
Okay, yeah. so so it's where you can you can pay I don't know how much it is to get celebrities to record a video as a message for someone. I'm thinking for Christmas, which is coming up pretty soon, we should chip in the three of us and get Ryan a Giorgio Chiellini cameo of Chiellini just saying something completely yes. friendly and normal to Ryan. And that would just be the, the perfect antagonistic Christmas gift or, that we could get Ryan Bailey. Or we could ask him to do that whole, that, that tongue thing that he did last towards the end yeah. of last year. Or to reenact, to reenact the, the challenge from the Euros or the volleyball tap against RSL. Maybe we could do a few. We, we can each do one. Each, each or maybe so, someone, if someone is, is any good at uh, video editing, we could get Chiellini horse collaring Ryan in that running video where he uh, he <laughs> falls right, over. That's enough now. Listen, <laughs> I, think that's enough. I think framed Chiellini jersey signed uh, for LAFC. That one for Ryan. I think we also get him a framed photo of that horse collar tackle uh, blown up, <laughs> maybe black and white, maybe also signed, and he could put both of those in his office. I think that's definitely the way to go i'm really happy that we all just want to give gifts to ryan ryan i hope you feel as appreciated as you should all of your friends want to give you gifts yep i love you all too guys thank you very much uh, <laughs> let's uh, finish up listener questions thank you very much nista for joining us on this one taylor thank you very much oh it was my pleasure ryan and i look forward <laughs> to giving you all of the chiellini merch don't do that graham thank you very much <laughs> <laughs> thank you ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, pleasure as always sir Right back at you, Ryan. Enjoy yourself in Minnesota. I hope you did uh, during that aforementioned famous MLS uh, All-Star game. Uh, Listener, thank you again. We'll be back on the feed. But for now, bye. Bye. 